This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with Lou Rhodes. He's an attorney with uh, McMahon, Welch, and Learned. Lou, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. How are you today? Doing well, thank you. Doing well. Um, so we're going to talk about a lot of things, but it's all going to revolve around uh, protests and things that uh, may lead to protests. So, Lou, start by giving us your background and tell us what uh, McMahon, Welsh and Learned does, please. Sure. I'll start with my firm first because that's a little easier. Um, my background's a little varied. Uh, McMahon, Welsh and Learned is uh, we're about a decade old. And we are primarily a government contracts boutique firm. Uh, there's eight, uh, eight attorneys in our firm. We all are, we all are senior attorneys. We have a model where you, you hire a senior attorney, you get a senior attorney, not our associates. Uh, we have, uh, between all of us in the firm, we have well over a hundred years of experience in the GovCon space. We do a lot of, uh, a lot of bid protests, a lot of claims. We counsel a lot of clients and we do a lot of M&A work. Uh, that's kind of a, a broad overview uh, of our firm. Uh, for me, myself, I, uh, I started in the government as I'm a Naval Academy graduate and got commissioned into the Marine Corps. And I did uh, seven years and change on active duty, uh, left active duty. Uh, I started going to law school at night uh, Why I got stationed in Washington, D.C., uh, left active duty, did stay in the reserves and recently retired after a long 28-year run doing that stuff. Uh, I started out with uh, some of the big law firms in Washington, D.C., uh, doing commercial litigation. Uh, a few years later, uh, some folks found out I, uh, at one point in time, I was a COTAR on the government side. So they uh, they quickly roped me into doing government contracts law. And uh, uh, I got into doing that at, a, at, at one of the bigger firms in the city. And uh, then I went in-house and spent about seven years as a, uh, as a general counsel. And uh, then I, uh, I decided to stopped traveling so much. So I went to a, a small local firm uh, so I could uh, spend more time with my kids as they're, uh, as they're rapidly growing up. Yeah. Uh, they don't stay small long. So enjoy while you can. Uh, I, you know, my son, my son leaves for college in, uh, in two weeks and he and I did a lot together when he was growing up and I still wish I had done more because I recognize that there's a chapter that closes as soon as I drop him off. So yep. I'm definitely latching on to my younger three uh my younger three daughters until uh while i can uh three daughters i only have one and uh yeah i'm still wrapped around her finger and she's 29 um, <laughs> well it's nice to know that'll never change <laughs> it, it, it will never change but you've got three man so you're going to be pulled in many directions uh so we're, we're going to be talking largely about protests so let, let's start by uh you know Assuming most people out there are like me and uh, we don't know that much about protests. So give us a primer. 
Sure. And, uh, yeah, we'll keep it at uh, obviously high levels. A bid protest is where you challenge a government's procurement decision, you know, at, at brass tacks. That's what it is. And, uh, you know, there, there's a whole host of rules out there under both the, uh, the federal acquisition regulations, the FAR, and then uh, GAO, uh, Government Accountability Office, is the primary protest, uh, protest venue. Uh, there, there's a lot of rules that generate, you know, timeliness, time frame, how to do it. Uh, but the general gist is the government is spending taxpayer money and the government has a set of rules that it needs to follow when it's spending taxpayer money. Uh, and the way the government has chosen to enforce its rules is by the competitors having a, a way to go and challenge the government's procurement decisions. So if I bid a contract and I don't like the way the government handled it, and I think the outcome wasn't fair and didn't follow the rules, I can file a bid protest to challenge the government's procurement decision. And then bottom line, that's that's how it works. The government doesn't go out there and police itself. It relies on the marketplace and the competitors to, to hold the government uh, procurement decision makers to the to the standards, uh, so that that that's a bid protest in a in a nutshell. Uh, you're you're out there telling the government, hey, wait, you broke the rules, or I think you broke the rules, uh, and I'm going to go challenge you at a at a third party oversight branch. Uh, and you have two options for how and how and when you're you're going to file a bid protest. Uh, as I as I said, the the main the main one most people use is uh, is GAO. Uh, GAO is a is a faster resolution. It's generally much cheaper to go to GAO, which is why it's why it's the uh, preferred choice of most companies. Uh, and uh, you know they got a very robust body. Like there's an entire there's an entire section of GAO that is 100 percent dedicated to uh, handling bid protest and bid protest dockets. Uh, so I I've probably done 15 or 20 bid protests this calendar year. And every single one of them have been uh, have been at GAO. Uh, the on the flip side, the other the other opportunity you have is the Court of Federal Claims. Uh, the Court of Federal Claims has, you know, as it said, it's it's claims against the federal government. Uh, they have jurisdiction over over various matters other than bid protests, uh, but they do a lot of bid protests. Court of Federal Claims is a court. It's a federal court. Uh, you have to follow federal court proceedings, which means you need to start with a complaint. Uh, and because it's a federal court, the government is represented by the Department of Justice, not by the agency itself. Uh, so this kind of ups the formality of the process a little bit and becomes a little more, uh, well, it becomes, uh, you know, cost becomes an issue when you're weighing between GAO and Court of Federal Claims. Uh, a lot of times people go from, you know, people go to the Court of Federal Claims because they miss a filing deadline at GAO. Uh, GAO has a very short window for when you can file a protest. Uh, basically, it's 10 days. Uh, when those 10 days start, has there's lots of variable points depending on how the procurement's being handled. Uh, but once the clock starts ticking, you have a week and a half. And if you miss that deadline, then you either have to say, I can't protest or you have to uh, have to go to the Court of Federal Claims. And if it's a big enough, if it's a big enough opportunity, you'll you'll go to the Court of Federal Claims. Uh, but where it, uh, what we always tell our clients is the minute you hear on a procurement decision, you should reach out to your counsel uh, so they can help make sure you don't miss a timeline, because that's uh, that's what our job is to make sure things get filed on time. OK, 
What what are the main areas that uh, the things awards are protested on? That's actually a, a, a good question because there's tons of topics. Uh, it can rate from everything of, hey, government, you you gave me a bad ranking on my technical proposal and you you uh, you marked me down on here, but you didn't grade me fairly or you made a mistake in the review of my proposal. Uh, so you challenge the government's technical evaluation of your proposal. You uh, you can challenge the government's technical evaluation of your competitor or proposed awardees proposal. Uh, generally, when you op- when you open up, you you don't have a lot of information about the awardee, what they submitted, how they submitted it. Uh, that comes out during the proposal process or the protest process. Uh, but so you, generally, you'll challenge when you first open it up. You'll challenge how the government evaluated you. Uh, you'll say, hey, you you made errors. You gave me you gave me a weakness you shouldn't have given me. Uh, you gave me a uh, you didn't give me a strength when you should have gave it to me. Uh, you, you'll make those challenges. Those are tough protests to win because the government does get a lot of discretion in its technical evaluation. You generally have to show an ac- actual error in the process. There's also grounds related to how they reviewed your your past performance. Uh, pricing arguments become a big one uh, where you see a lot of protests is. You know, the government does the government's, as you well know, Mark, it it swings a pendulum, right? It'll go for for nine months. Everything is going to be pushed out LPTA. And then for the next nine months, everything is going to come out best value. And then they're going to go back and forth. Right. So, you know, what happens in a lot of LP or in a lot of best value is my proposal is the cheapest, but you awarded it to somebody's more expensive to me. And I don't think you I don't think you justified the cost. Uh, so you get a lot of protests when people are cheaper and they feel like the government is overpaying for the services. Uh, so, you know, that gets that gets into the protest grounds and discussions is another uh, is another big one. If the government opens discussions at some point and has discussions with any of the proposed offerers, uh, that that becomes a, a almost an automatic grounds of protest because you'll feel like you you weren't given a you weren't given a fair chance. Uh, you know when the government has uh, when the government has discussions, you know they there's a requirement for how they how they do them. Uh, they have to do them equally with all parties. Doesn't mean exactly the same, but it has to be equal. You know, disparate treatment is the is the legal term we look at. So this uh, is the three oh six part. This is where we get into FAR fifteen point three oh six on uh, on the rule for discussions and and when you can have them and and how what the scope of them can be based on timing. Uh, but the general rule on discussions is they have to be they have to be meaningful. Uh, so I can't open discussions with you and your competitor and give you a bunch of things you need to fix and then miss key key areas in your competitor's proposal where he doesn't have an opportunity uh, to to fix his errors. And that's kind of the the meaningful issue. Uh, and similarly, they have to be helpful, uh, which is similar to meaningful, right? I can't I can't have a discussion with you and not give you the type of feedback. The goal of discussions is to allow offers the ability to to improve their proposal, uh, and that's supposed to be a win win for everybody. The government gets a better proposal, and the uh, the offer gets a better chance of winning because they get to make their proposal better to answer the government's needs. Uh, if the government doesn't doesn't equally ask people or go to people and say, uh, you know, give everyone the fair chance to improve, that's where they run into trouble. Uh, okay. And certainly they, they, they can't have discussions with just one offer. They got to do it to everybody. 
Right. Hold hold that thought. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. We'll pick up this discussion right where we left off. Back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center. I'm here with Lou Rhodes. Um, and we're talking, well, tell them where you were talking, Lou. Well, we were uh, we were talking about uh, protest grounds kind of in general, what some of the common ones are. Uh, and we were just talking about discussions, uh, you know, and how discussions have to be uh, have to be equal, fair and helpful to all parties. To answer your your overarching first question on protest grounds, you know, generally it's generally tied to a a, a, a challenge of the evaluation. It could be a technical past performance uh, or pricing. Uh, it. it challenge to a best value outcome. Hey, you didn't, you didn't really decide this in the best value. You've decided to buy a Mercedes when a Toyota can get the job done. The government shouldn't be paying for a Mercedes uh, or, you know, it can tie, it, it can tie to uh, a, an issue of discussions. Uh, those, those are kind of, if I were to, to come up with big general buckets, uh, you know, there's lots of other uh, protest grounds on uh, you know out there that get into minutia, but they probably all could eventually roll up to that that those overarching categories. Okay, um, one thought just occurred to me is: Are there more protests as we get closer to end of FY, or is it pretty even throughout the year? Well, protests are going to be cyclical with when the government's making contract awards, right? So if you're going to see a bunch of contract awarded at the very end of the fiscal year, you're probably going to see a lot of protests in October, you know, assuming that the, the contract and opportunities are protestable. And, and that's one way, you know, that's that's actually where I should have started with the jurisdiction threshold. Uh, as the government does more and more contract vehicles, uh, the issues of being able to protest is uh, it, it, the contracts you can protest are, are dropping uh, under uh, uh, under the uh, the jurisdiction threshold. If it's a civilian agency and it's a task order contract, you cannot protest unless the total contract value is over ten million dollars. Uh, there's no jurisdiction to go to the GAO or the Court of Federal Claims. If the task order is awarded at nine million nine hundred ninety nine thousand dollars, you can't challenge it. Uh, so if there's a task order off of soup or something like that for nine and a half million for interior, you what? you cannot challenge it at GAO. There's there's other remedies you can have. You can go to the contracting officer. You can go to the agency. You can go hmm. to uh, go go to different places within the agency, uh, but you can't challenge the third party review of the procurement decision at GAO. Uh, it gets even worse if you're in a DOD contract because the DOD tends to have bigger contracts and a lot more money. Their jurisdiction is 25 million uh, under a task order. So Whoa. if the task order is uh, task orders under 25 million dollars. Uh, you're and you know, and that's that's a you know, if you're talking a small business, those are those are sizable those are sizable hurdles to get over because if, if you're a small company, most of your fishing is going to be in in those ponds, right? It's going to be. Right. You know, a $5 million a year contract is a really, really big contract for a small company. Yep. So, uh, you know, we, we run into a lot of times where, where companies will reach out to us uh, wanting to protest an issue. And one of the first questions we ask is, you know, what, you know, what contract was it under and how much was the contract? Uh, and, and too many times, you know, the you know, companies come in and are like, oh, it was, like you said, Department of Interior under under soup or CIO SP3. And it was an eight million dollar contract award. And, and you know, unfortunately, we got to tell our clients you can't 
you can't protest. Uh, you can't protest as there's no jurisdiction. And and those are, you know, 10 million, 25 million. Those are, those are uh, what you just said. You know, they're a lot of money for small contractors. Yeah, that, those are big contracts. And it gets a little frustrating sometimes. And like I said, I, I you know, the, the government's not perfect. And nobody, uh, you know, and I don't think anyone from the government would sit here and tell you they're perfect. And they make mistakes. Uh, and uh, sometimes the mistakes are, are, are more inadvertent than others. But, uh, you know, they'll, they'll make mistakes and you can't, you know, if, if you're in that range, you can't challenge those mistakes. And, uh, you know, so every once in a while you see something cross, cross your desk and not be able to protest it. And it gets a little, it gets a little frustrating. Now, on the flip side, you know, protests, protests can, can disrupt the government procurement cycle and the government operations side. And so the government equally, and I'll, I'll, I'll give them, uh, I'll give them a little bit of credit here. Uh, like we all like to fight the government. So I don't want to say too many nice things about them. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but the government, you know, the government's trying to do business and they're trying to get a continue and, and, and perform their services and protests can interrupt that. Because uh, part and parcel to a bid protest is a is a stay of award of the contract, and you know it's called uh, we we in the industry you'll hear it referred to as a SECA stay. Uh, SECA stands for the Competition and Contracting Act. Uh, it's an actual statute, and uh, so by statutory law, if you file a bid protest, the government cannot award the contract until the bid protest is resolved. So if the government's trying to buy services A and I protest it, the government in, and I'm a GAO, the government's not going to be able to actually buy services A for 100 days. So it does it does disrupt the operation side of the government quite a bit, you know, but, uh, you know, that's that's just it, it's. You know the system is what it is, and and there's there's some very positive parts of the protest system, and there's some very big drawback parts to it. Uh, I think overall it's it's much more positive. It it gives it allows the marketplace to hold the government accountable instead of the government having to hire a bunch more people and put more government employees out there to oversee billions and billions of dollars in procurement activities. Uh, you know, competitors are going to be way more diligent and making sure they're treated fairly uh, than a government third party necessarily would be. So that, that's the positive side of the protest system. You know, the drawback and the negative side is, you know, it, it, it interrupts the government's ability to uh, the government's ability to function smoothly sometimes. Like and the, the Jedi people, contract. <laughs> yes, like the Jedi contract. That's probably the, you know, that's a, that's an extreme example for how bad, uh, you know, how bad a protest system can go along. Uh, and, you know, if you get, if you have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars tied up in an opportunity, you're going to go hire fleets of lawyers uh, to come in and look through the record. And, you know, if I if I bring 10 attorneys in to look at a government procurement record, I, I'm going to find something. I'm going to find a chink in the armor uh, because nobody's nobody's perfect. And you find enough chinks in the armor. You can you can delay a delay this delay this system to the point much like the, the Jedi thing where the government just throws up its hands and goes back and starts over again. Or, you know, the other one we've all know about is uh, how long is CIOS before been up and down and back and forth and protested and challenged. Uh, I, was, so I wasn't going to bring that up, but now that you did, it's been what, three years plus four years? I think it's been every bit of three since they first started putting the draft RFP out for that. Uh, 
you know, those are obviously extreme examples for how it goes really badly. The regular protests aren't quite as disruptive, but I mean, if you're if you're the government PM and you've got a small IT services contract, and especially if it's a brand new opportunity and you're trying to to get some people in your office to do work, and it gets protested, and now you have to wait an extra three and a half months, uh, you know, that's a uh, you know that 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 can be frustrating. Uh, you know, and, and I, I have one client who's, uh, who's been on a little bit of a roll this year. They've had a couple really big wins, but we've had to intervene on a protest each time. And, uh, so on the business side, you know, my, my client wins an award and before they can really celebrate, they have to, they have to overcome a protest. Uh, and, you know, as an awardee, you're, you're allowed to vote at the, at, or at least a seat at the table in the protest is called, uh, intervening. And you can show up uh, and file a motion to inter- intervene and help support the government uh, and help keep the award uh, in your hands. Uh, so we do that. We end up doing that a fair amount, too. But then the the company that wins the contract award has to go out and spend a bunch of money on attorney's fees and wait three and a half months until the protest is resolved before it can actually start doing the work under its contract. What an interest! I was going to say what a mess, but it, it's it's not a mess. It's an interesting thing, and it's something that doesn't happen in the private sector. And overall, I, I think I'd have to agree. I think there's way way more positives here than negatives. But um, we're going to open a totally different can of worms after this break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I will return with Lou. Roads, and we will open a can of worms involving the internet. Back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Lou Rhodes of, uh, let me see if I can get this right, McMahon, Welch, and Learned. Um, and you can find Lou, R H O D E S, on LinkedIn. I suggest you do so. Uh, Lou, we we met through uh, Stacy Piper, uh, who is a brilliant marketing person uh, in in our little GovCon community here, and she brought you into the ideation uh, meetings that we have twice a week uh, through Government Marketing University. But she brought you in for a very particular reason. There was some questions around whether or not advertising on social media could be a basis for protests and well take it from there yes stacy first reached out to me a a couple weeks ago on on this topic and i found it kind of fascinating because those of us who've been around the government in any sector we know that technology and real life outpaces regulations uh you know they, they lap the regulations several times over, right? It takes it takes a couple of years to get a regulation changed. Meanwhile, technology you know changes overnight. Uh, so the the concept she came to me with is at at what point we we spoke about discussions a little bit earlier in a protest round, and you know she brought up the question of whether or not a certain type of communications during kind of what what in the industry we call a quiet period uh you know after an rfp has been EPRA solicitation has been submitted to the government and you're not allowed to talk to the uh, procuring officials uh until the award comes down 
uh, you know, when we talked about discussions and whether or not they're on equal or uneven, uh, you know, once once a you know the quiet period where you can't engage the government is from you know when when you submit your bid uh, until the the government makes a, an award decision uh, because they don't want. Uh, uh, you know, somebody influencing them in today's day and age where we have the technology where we can, we can basically hyper target certain individuals on LinkedIn or other websites. Uh, does that, does that count as an unequal discussion? And uh, theoretically as a legal geek, I thought it was a brilliant, uh, a brilliant question. Uh, you know, and, and to rehash a little bit what we talked about earlier, you know, the, the discussions issue is, you know, once you have your paperwork in front of the government, you can't talk to the government about your procurement. Uh, and if you do, the government has to have the same conversations with your competitor. And, uh, you know, Stacy broke this down in a, in, a, uh, in a brilliant way when she referred to a, you know, different types of marketing as one to many, one to one and versus one to a few. Uh, one to one, we know is definitely illegal, uh, or not illegal. It violates the regulations. So if you're a procurement official, if you're on the technical evaluation panel, if you at all are involved with, uh, if you're at all involved with a, a procurement, I can't talk to you if my RFP or my solicitation is in front of you, uh, that we know is, is off the table. So I, I cannot send an email to, you know, a, a senior GS-15 or an SES that I know talking about how great my company is if I think he's the source selection official or the technical evaluation chair uh, on a proposal in front of him. Uh, so that's definitely a one-to-one is off the table. A one-to-many is definitely okay. Uh, if I put a big billboard up in the Pentagon Metro uh, talking about how my uh, my latest technology is the best thing since sliced bread and and my uh, you know my radar cloaking device is the best ever uh, and is in a big billboard that every senior officer or senior government uh, civilian walks by on the way to the Pentagon from the metro that's perfectly okay as well uh, the question is if if I can identify, I'm, I'm trying to bid something to, uh, you know, just say some some agency in HHS, and I know by doing my my homework, I know who the five SESs are in it in in that that group, and I know one of those SESs is going to be the source selection official for uh, for my procurement. And I can now, for as my marketing friends have taught me, I can go on LinkedIn and I can make it so when each one of those five people and only those five people get on LinkedIn somewhere in their feed, they're going to start seeing ads related to my company and my capabilities. And so that becomes a much more shade of gray issue of am I am I violating any regulations by influencing a government decision maker while my that decision maker is is reading my proposal and you know and i and i you know the the bottom line is there there's right now there's not a clear legal answer and if there were a more clear legal answer i would say that you're probably okay because the regulations don't address something along those lines uh the regulations talk the regulations mostly focus on a one-to-one discussion with your procurement uh, so, you know, these types of conversations, I would argue, are, are these types of marketing 
I think are fairly are fair game under the regs as they're written today. The one to one, the one to few that that Stacy brought up, and I agree that you know it's a brilliant way to slice and dice. If you know or suspect that there's a half a dozen influencers out there, but you cast a little broader net, so you're targeting a hundred people in that agency rather than just those six. Does that cloud the issue? Does that make you safer doing that type of outreach? Or is that just subterfuge? I, I think the broader you make it, right? Because, uh, you know, part of the things they look at in in these, this, you know, discussions or, or you know, when you're, remember, the issue on unequal discussions becomes disparate treatment. And, you know, one of the arguments I would make as a lawyer defending these actions is, hey, everybody had a chance to do this. Just because I did it didn't mean I did anything wrong. My competitors could have done the same thing. Uh, or for all I know, my competitors did do the same thing. And, you know, so when you're when you're doing something that everyone has access and ability to, I, I think that's one defense. Uh, you know, the other the other thing is I, I would start before the solicitation submitted uh, or, you know, have a gen, you know, build this into your general marketing strategy if you're worried about it being a problem down the road. Uh, because if it's a ordinary course of conduct that you're just doing this on a regular basis, um, this is part of my marketing and, and advertising plan and budget. Uh, I think that's a defensible thing as well, where you're saying, hey, I, I do this. It's not targeted to that solicitation. This is how I'm going to market my company and build build work, period. Uh, I think uh, I think that helps uh, also. Looking at this in a, in a holistic concept, I the, the more hyper targeting it gets, I, I think it's it's more of a concern on your audience side necessarily than it is with your uh with the regulations, at least today, uh, you know, government procurement people, uh, you know, they, 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 they tend to try to do the right thing all the time. And I think for the most part, they very much stand on their ethics and reputation. And you may have a bigger problem where the source selection official feels like you're unfairly targeting him. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, you'd pass muster in a protest challenge, but you may, you may turn off the source selection official, or he may report this and, and say, I believe this is an on, unequal, uh, unequal discussion. Uh, you know, government, government folks at, at a certain level, you know, it, it's, it's a risk averse industry. Uh, so they're not, you know, the, the, to me, that, that's the bigger problem. And, and actually, I, it was interesting. I had, uh, I had lunch with a, uh, a Naval Academy classmate of mine on Friday who uh, is an attorney who works inside the government. He's been a government attorney on the procurement side uh, for a number of years. And uh, and he and I had a uh, we, we had a conversation on this topic because I wanted to hear his his side. Uh, and his his take was similar to mine from a regulatory standpoint. Uh, he did he did not see an actual FAR violation by doing this. Uh, but he said, you know, he, he, he did say, and, you know, he's been a government protest. He's defended governments at bid protests. Uh, he's seen oftentimes where the source selection official or a government evaluator will, will write their own memo to the file or memo to the record uh, reporting things. And this could be an issue where if I'm, if I'm the source selection official for a big procurement and every time I log link, log into my LinkedIn, I get an ad for uh, a company whose, whose solicitation is on my desk. And I see that every single time I log in, I may raise a red flag myself. 
and even if I don't officially raise a red flag, you know, there's the there's the chance if you if you oversaturate somebody, you could turn them off. Yeah. Uh, right. And uh, so to me, and, and I'm definitely not a marketing person. I'm a, I'm a very logical, linear uh, lawyer where, you know, I put A, a goes to B goes to C. Uh, but I think from a personality standpoint, you know, it could backfire if somebody feels like they're being overly targeted. Point. Hold that thought. Uh, we're going to take our last break. We'll wrap up when we come back together. You're uh, listening to Amtower Off Center. My guest today is Lou Rhodes of McMahon, Welch, and Learned. Back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Lou Rhodes of McMahon, Welch, and Learned. Uh, find Lou on LinkedIn. Reach out. Uh, so we're, this this whole aspect of LinkedIn as uh, a potential uh, minefield for uh, you know sharing. I mean, number one, we're all sharing information with targeted accounts day in, day out. Uh, Account-based marketing is predicated on going after specific accounts on uh, on social platforms and, and other methods, but especially social platforms. So when we get down to this, if you start messaging individuals, uh, but in not, not as individuals, but as a as a set of people at a particular agency that you you are marketing to, um, we we have the issue of if if it's a message through social, the targeted person does not have to open the message, so they're not necessarily going to see it. If it's an ad, they will. Um, but again, I, I'm going. You know, this this is going to be a one to many or a one to few but not that targeted a few where do you see this play well i i it, it really you know i'm going to give the classic lawyer answer of it depends <laughs> so, but it, it, in this case it really does and it depends on what you're saying in your message uh and you know my example earlier is the pentagon and it was our, like a radar uh you know radar obscuring technology or coding or or something and and if if that's my bid that's in front of this agency and i'm sending an email that's that's sending test results or 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 you know i'm doing a marketing blast to people who possibly are on that evaluation team addressing that specific technology that could be that could be problematic because that could be a me trying to put more info that's not in my proposal. Uh, now, if I'm going to send a a standard marketing email that goes out to people that talks about my capabilities, uh, what a great company I am, I I do all this philanthropic work, I, I I do all these other great things, and it's kind of a lot more generic. And, and it's something standard, right? If you if you only send this email once and it goes out two weeks after you uh, after you submitted your proposal, that could be a problem. Uh, but if you have a a standard practice of hey, I'm going to send out marketing bits and emails, and I'm going to have my distribution lists, uh, I'm going to target people and and say hey, I'm a I'm a great company. Here's how I do this. You know, if it's it's a standard practice and you're you're being more generic about it, I I think that's fine. Uh, here is where you know, obviously, you get yourself in trouble with too much detail. That is definitely if if you're targeting people, I mean, you don't you have no idea who the who the 
who's on the technical evaluation committee. You don't know who's the source selection official. At least you shouldn't, or better, better not. Uh, that would be that would be highly problematic. Uh, so you know, to so you can't really target to that degree of specificity, but you'll have rough ideas. Uh, there's people out there who are paid a lot of money to get an idea to figure out who the government, who, who, who in the government needs to be influenced, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's perfectly fair game. Everyone's allowed to market and influence. It's, uh, I said, where you get yourself in trouble is if you really focus way too much detail, uh, and it's too closely related to your proposal. Okay. When, when, when a company is going after a particular uh, uh, bid, they know the RFP is going to be coming soon. Uh, generally speaking, there is, you know, white papers, case studies, uh, webinars uh, around that topic focused on uh, key players at a particular agency, right? Yes, so absolutely. This is standard operating procedure. Yeah. Um, Back when the uh, when the new tanker was being hotly debated, uh, right? We we won't talk about ultimately what happened there because that that went off the rails in bad ways. But right. you know, when when I was commuting into D.C., you know, I lived on my traffic updates, and uh, I would hear both the Airbus and the Boeing commercials probably nine times a day uh, out on the radio talking about why their solution is better for the American taxpayer, uh, you know, trying to exert influence on, you know, not just the procurement people, but politicians, staffers, and, and everybody else. And it was and perfectly, the general public. That, yes. And that, that part of that procurement and competition was perfectly, perfectly okay. Uh, you know, it was out there broadcast to, you know, millions of people every day uh, where everyone could see it. And, you know, that that was perfectly legitimate. Uh, So that's a great example of, you know, there's this this opportunity out there. And, uh, you know, I want to I want to build influence uh, in in a correct way. Uh, Or if the government starts talking about an opportunity and you want to put a white paper in front of the government, and say, hey, here's here's what we think is the industry's best solution. Here's how I think we should address this. You know, here's my thought process. And and you try to influence the government that way before a RFP is on the street and you're you're writing a, a proposal. That's absolutely uh, absolutely allowed, and actually should be encouraged because you know industry often has the best you know industry's best in class work uh, should be considered by the government in a lot of these things. Uh, the issue is, you know, the issue is the quiet period, right? I, I got an RFP, the Q&A is over, I'm finishing up my proposal, my proposal's going in, uh, I submit it, and while I may be waiting nine months for the government to make a final award decision, you know, I shouldn't be dropping white papers on that agency talking about my technology that's in my proposal. Yeah, it's interesting for a variety of reasons, not the least of which you and I discussed offline and you you brought up at ideation that that the FAR does not cover this kind of stuff yet. And the time frame for it doing so is going to be long. And when they announce that they're going to, they'll have a comment period. And I would imagine that uh that lawyers and companies and tons of other people will weigh in on this topic. 
Oh, not yeah. Uh, now I think there'll be a lot of marketing people definitely weighing in on this, uh, using their attorneys and otherwise. And and it's like I said, it's a really interesting topic, uh, right? You have a right to compete. You know, you have a right to put your ideas and your advertisements in the marketplace. Uh, so you know, there's you know, you're you're basically telling a company they got to limit their ability to do that. Uh, but you know, you also want to have a fair procurement. I mean, you, if you hear a message and I will go all the way back to the, you know, the, the old time in the movie theater, right. With the subliminal pictures of popcorn and hot dogs and, yep. and soda flashing on the screens. And eventually you're like, Oh, I'm hungry. There's a you reason think, people you think do that. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> I buy my large popcorn before I sit down. So I don't feel there hungry in the middle of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's it's going to be fun to watch this play out because you just opened a huge can of worms here, um, so I, I'm I'm going to do my damnedest to be a marketer and spread the word on the topic, just to see if we can uh, if we can create a little bit of a wave here. Yeah, um, I think it's a I think I find it fascinating. Whenever there's like I always find it interesting when there's a technology and capability that is kind of new. Uh, that the lawyers and regulatory people haven't really started thinking it all the way through yet. Uh, you know, the, you know, that, that's a, that's always interesting to see, see how that shakes down. Yep. Any final thoughts on this? Uh, no, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm more than willing to discuss this with anyone. Uh, like I said, I, I, my final advice to companies in this area is, you know, they know their audience better than anybody. And I, I, I would focus less on what the current regulations are today and more on the personality of your audience. And uh, in today, right now, as we speak, the, uh, that's the bigger risk to you of you having a, a source selection official get upset with you or feel like you're overly influencing him or her. Uh, and they uh, and they and they tune you out because of that. To me, that's Damn. the if you ask me right now in 2022, that's the biggest risk on this topic. Point. All right, Lou. Thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Absolutely, this was fun. Lou Rhodes, McMahon, Welch, and Learned. Uh, this is not my day job. I do advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government. I have been focusing the last few years on building a subject matter expert thought leadership position in market, leveraging content and LinkedIn. If that resonates with you, uh, drop me a line, Mark Amtower at Gmail. And thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 